case y'all didn't know, she was in the hospital because her kidneys stopped working. And uh, they pumped her with a bunch of fluids and medicine and all her kidneys are working now and she's here. Can I get an amen on that? Uh, I think it's important, especially in moments like that, to understand that God used everything in that circumstance to bring you out of it. Amen. The doctors, you, the, whoever took you there, you know, whoever visited you, whoever called you, all of that was God's grace and favor and mercy and kindness being shown to Teresa. Amen. Can we give God a round of applause for what he does and how faithful he is? Amen. Now, like many of our Impact Wednesday night services or our Sunday night discipleship services, normally either I've had a conversation with somebody and I want to make a doctrinal point or I've been studying something and I want to make uh, uh, application of a, of a verse or a text and I want to tell you that tonight's message has been born out of prayer okay and when I say prayer I'm talking about when I get up in the morning and I lift up my wife and my, my kids my marriage my wife's job what she does my kids their school, their impact on their school, and then I pray for this church, and I pray for the members of this church. I, I even pray for just the people that show up every once in a while. You know what I mean? And I pray earnestly over every one of them. And I got a notebook filled with pastors that I prayed for, and I got uh, ministers and, and different uh, missionaries that I'm praying for, and church leaders, and and business leaders and civic leaders and as we were talking last night at uh, Table Talk Tuesday we had went, been going through Romans chapter 8 and we're still going through it and I'm not going through it tonight okay I might reference one or two verses from there but we're going to be in Colossians chapter 3 tonight and this is really birthed out of how Myself and Kyle have been praying for all of the people that come to church here. Um, I know we only had 20 last week, but generally we got around 40 people at church on Sunday morning. And if everybody shows up, we actually have around 60 people. And I'm praying for them. I'm praying for them. And Robert, you just showed up, but now I'm going to start praying for you. But we've been praying Ephesians chapter 3, right? Over and over and over and over and over. Isn't, no, I'm in Colossians. I'm in Colossians, but we've been praying Ephesians chapter 3, right? We have been praying Ephesians chapter 3 for quite some time. Where Paul in Ephesians 3 verse 14 says, For this cause I bow my knee unto the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Of whom the whole family in heaven and earth is named. That he would grant you according to the riches of his glory. To be strengthened with might by his spirit in the inner man. 
that Christ may dwell in your hearts by faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may be able to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and the length and the depth and the height, and to know the love of Christ which passes knowledge, that ye may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now unto him that is able to do exceedingly abundantly above all that we ask or think, according to the power that worketh in us. Unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus throughout all ages, world without end. Amen. And as we pray that prayer, there's a very poignant statement at the end of that where he says that may Christ, w w may, unto him be glory in the church by Christ Jesus through all ages. The church has been going for ages. And brother and sisters that are in this room and those who are watching on Facebook, those who are going to listen to the podcast, I've got to tell you that I am praying earnestly that Christ would be glorified in this generation. Because we have such a, a lackadaisical view of this relationship that we have with Christ. It seems as if we can just pick and choose what's important. We can pick and choose what it looks like, how it sounds. And we think, oh, you know, them old timers, they did it that way. But I don't have to do that. And as a consequence, we don't pray. We don't seek God. We don't even seek to walk out sanctification in our life. We're just comfortable being just as he found us. And as I read last night with Kyle and Mike and Wesley and Ruth, and that even last week when we got into Romans, it really was burdening my heart as I prayed for this church, as I prayed for my family, my kids. So I was in my own Bible study today most of the day I've been in prayer, I've been reading, I've been seeking God. Purposely didn't go to sleep even though I could have waken up at 3.30 in the morning because puppy wouldn't let me go to sleep. I had several opportunities where I could have just said, I'm taking a nap, but my heart is burdened. Burdened with a heavy load. If you could go to Colossians chapter 3. I'm going to start at verse 1 and I'm going to do quite a bit of reading. We're not going to go through the whole text that I'm going to read, but we're going to get through most of it. I titled tonight, Set Your Affections on Things Above. I just took a verse of scripture. Set your affections. On things above. If ye then be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above, not on things on the earth. For ye are dead, and your life is hid with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, 
shall appear, then shall ye also appear with him in glory. Mortify, therefore, the members which are upon this earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil conspicuances, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God cometh on children of disobedience. In the which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And ye have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. Where there is neither Jew or Greek nor Jew, circumcision or uncircumcision, barbarian or scathian, bond or free. But Christ is all and in all. Put on, therefore, as the elect of God, holy and beloved, bowels of mercy, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, forbearing one another and forgiving one another if any man have a quarrel against any. Even as Christ forgave you, so also do ye. And above all of these put on charity, which is the bond of perfectness. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to which ye also are called in one body and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell richly in you in all wisdom, teaching and admonishing one another in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatsoever you do in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God and the Father by him. Let us pray. Father, we come to you tonight. Holy and adequate God to meet all of these requirements. In desperate need of your spirit. In desperate need of your help. Tonight, Lord, as we come together to hear this message. God, I pray that you would burden our hearts with a need to focus our attention on heavenly things, to set our affections on things above, to put our heart where our treasure should be. Help us tonight, God. We need you. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this isn't normal. I don't normally do this. Uh, normally, I just take an excerpt from a commentary. But Matthew Henry captures the thought of the first four verses of this scripture so well that I want you to hear his words. And this is a man that lived some 350 years ago. The apostle exhorts us to set our hearts upon heaven. And take off of them, take them off of this world. He exhorts, to he exhorts to the mortification of sin in various instances. 
He earnestly presses towards mutual love and compassion and concludes with exhortations to relevant duties of wives and husbands, parents and children, masters and servants. For verse 1 through 4, Matthew Henry says this, The apostle having described our privilege by Christ to the former part of this epistle and our discharge from the yoke of the ceremonial law. Now I'm going to stop right there. What he's saying is Paul has already told us in the first two chapters of Colossians that we're no longer bound to the law of Moses, that we're not judged by that, we're not saved by that. That's not what gets us to heaven. Listen to Henry here. He says, our discharge from the yoke of the ceremonial law comes here to press upon us the duty as inferred thence. Though we may be free from the obligations of the ceremonial law, it does not therefore follow that we may live as we list or as we will. We can't live any way we want. We must walk the more closely with God in the instances of evangelical obedience. He begins with an exhortation for them to set their hearts on heaven and take them off of this world. If you then have been risen with Christ, it is our privilege that we have risen with Christ. That is we have benefit by the resurrection of Christ and by virtue of our union and communion with him are justified and sanctified and shall be glorified. Hence, he infers that we must seek those things that are above. We must mind the concerns of another world more than the concerns of this world. We must make heaven our scope and our aim. We must seek the favor of God above all to keep our communion with the upper world by faith and hope and holy love and make it our constant care and business to secure our title and to qualifications for the heavenly bliss. And the reason is because Christ sets the right hand of God. He who is our best friend and the head is advanced to the highest dignity and honor in heaven and has gone on before us to secure to us a heavenly happiness. And therefore we should seek and secure what he has purchased at so vast of an expense. And it has taken so much care about what he has done. We must live such a life as Christ lived here on earth and lives and lives now in heaven according to our capacity. He explains this duty. Set your affections on things above and not on things of the earth. Observe to seek heavenly things is to set our affections upon them to love them and to let our desire be towards them now as i read this i could have went on and on matthew henry is one of the most eloquent bible 
uh, expositors that has ever lived, that ever has lived. His commentary, even 300 years later, is used by millions of people every year. Christians today languish in a world of lust and passions, and we are being born headlong in to false gospels filled with worldly and earthly promises that draw men and women to run after the riches and the pleasures of this life rather than our reward, which is with Christ. Things that the unbeliever chase after are the things being promised by televangelists. Without so much as a thought toward God or Christ or the purpose to which they have been purchased or charged or the charge that was left by them, by their redeeming husbandmen, their bridegroom, their savior, most Christians spend their every waking hour fulfilling the lusts of this dirt suit. Most Christians take very little thought to the interactions that they're going to have that day and if they're going to have any heavenly consequences. Most of us are impatient, waiting in line at the grocery store, not setting a very good example to those who know that we go to church or that we profess to be Christians. Tonight as I read this, I want to start right where he starts. And this is a huge statement that he makes from the very beginning of this chapter. He says, if ye be risen with Christ. You see, there is supposed to be a difference between those who are risen with Christ and those who are not risen with Christ. There's supposed to be a difference between you and the world. There's supposed to be a difference between the believer and the unbeliever. And Paul, when he starts this, he says, if ye then be risen with Christ. So this is the prerequisite. The prerequisite is this. If you are in Christ, everything else after this applies to you. If ye be risen with Christ. Everybody that's risen with Christ, raise your hand. He's talking about you. Seek those things which are above. Where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. I want to flip through a few scriptures, but before I do, I'm going to give you a little note out of the Reformation Heritage Study Bible on verse 1 here. He says, if ye then been risen with Christ, those who have been risen with Christ, chapter 2, verse 12 and 20, uh, verse 12 and verse 20, can pursue those things which are above. Because a lot of people go, oh, you know, sanctification's a work. It's a, you know, it's, it's, it's a, all throughout your life. That's true. But that doesn't mean you shouldn't be pursuing it. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be pursuing sanctification. Doesn't mean you shouldn't be pursuing holiness. 
Amen? It doesn't mean that you shouldn't be striving to do better tomorrow than you did today. It doesn't mean that you should just sit back on your laurels and go, well, one of these days, God's just going to come down here and wave his magic wand, and I'm just going to be sanctified all at once. But it doesn't happen that way. We're not taught that in Scripture. We're taught over and over. Paul says, I beat my body daily. That even after I have preached, that I wouldn't be turned away. That I wouldn't be found wanting. That I would be cast out. Turn with me to chapter 2, verse 12. I just want to, anytime somebody notes a verse, I like to go read it. It says, buried with him in baptism, wherein wherein also ye are risen with him through faith of the operation of God who hath raised him from the dead. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh hath he quickened together with him having forgiven you all your trespasses. Verse 20 he says, Wherefore if ye be dead with Christ from the rudimentary rudiments of this world why as though living in the world are you subject to ordinances touch not taste not handle not which are all to perish with the using after the commandments and doctrines of men which things have indeed a show of wisdom in will worship and humility and in neglecting of the body not in the honor to the sanctifying or the satisfying of the flesh so in all of this, we're still talking about our body being sanctified. We're still talking about salvation. We're still talking about the body being put under subjection. Go with me, if you will, to Galatians chapter 2. And we're really, literally only talking about this first sentence, first half of a sentence. Notice, if ye been risen with Christ. So in Galatians chapter 2. Verse 19, we're going to see Paul speaking to the Galatians. Very similar words that we're reading right here where he's exhorting them that they have been given new life in Christ. Starting at verse 19. For, though, uh, for through the law I am dead to the law that I might live unto God. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ that liveth in me, and the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Even in this, we see a hint of searching for those heavenly things, for searching, for seeking, for setting our affections on things above. Turn with me to Romans chapter 6, verse 4. Surely you'll remember these verses. They're very common verses that we've read over and over. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall also in the likeness 
of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin. Now, if we be dead with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him. Knowing that Christ be raised from the dead, dieth no more, death hath no more dominion over him. For he, for in that he died, he died unto sin once. But in that he liveth, he liveth unto God. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin, but alive unto God through Jesus Christ. And let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to obey its lusts thereof. Now, all of this is a big mouthful, and all of this is like, oh, Pastor, we've heard it a million times, but you're not getting what I'm saying. Supposed Christians, remember where we started? If ye then be raised with Christ. What does that mean? You're born again. What does the Bible say about born again people? If any man be in Christ, he's a new creature. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things have become brand new. Amen? And here again we're seeing that we're to reckon ourselves dead to sin. We're to mortify the deeds of the flesh. And you go, well, pastor, I'm not out here fornicating and I'm not out here committing adultery and I'm not out here doing this sin and that sin. But the question isn't just what you're not doing. The question is, what are you doing? Are you seeking those things above? Or are you just simply not sinning? yet not really living your life for Christ. Because living for Christ is more than just not following a rule you know, or just not breaking a rule. Living my life for Christ is being a witness for Christ, is, is sharing my faith with others, is, is going out into the world and being salt and light. It's raising my children in the fear and the admonition of the Lord. It is, it is discipling my wife and my children. It's raising a family of godly men and women who will pass on a heritage in the Lord. This is what it means to live for Christ. It's not, hey, what are you not doing? He didn't, he didn't start there. He didn't start with what they weren't supposed to do. He started with what they were supposed to do. Seek those things that are above. Because you are in Christ, because you've been raised with Christ, seek those things which are above. Romans 8. I told you I was going to mention a couple verses from here. Verse 9. But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so be that the spirit of God dwells in you. Now, if any man have not the spirit of Christ, he is none of his. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. But if the spirit of him who raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live after the flesh. For if ye live after the flesh, ye shall die. But if we through the spirit do mortify the deeds of the body, ye shall live. Now notice, 
it uses a phrase here, a word that's used in Colossians, mortify. We're mortifying the flesh. I'll get to the word mortify in a minute. I don't want to get ahead of myself. Paul, or uh, excuse me, Joel Beakey says that Paul's thought here when he tells them, if you have been risen with Christ, seek those things that are above. He has in mind the prayer that he prayed for them at the beginning of Colossians. And I just want to read it to you. Colossians chapter 1, verse 9. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. And to, and to desire that ye may, might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding. That ye might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Strengthened with all might according to his glorious power unto all patience and longsuffering with joyfulness. Giving thanks unto the Father which has made us meet. To be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in light. Who hath delivered us from the power of darkness and hath translated us into the kingdom of his dear son. In whom we have redemption through his blood, even the forgiveness of our sins. Wow. Doesn't this sound like it ties together with Paul's understanding of what it means to be in Christ? It sounds like... Uh, Romans chapter 6 it sounds like Romans chapter 8 it sounds like Galatians chapter 2 verse 8 and 9 it sounds like uh, Colossians chapter 2 verse 12 and verse 20 where it's talking about being in Christ and when we understand that being in Christ implies not only not doing certain things but it implies that we're going to start doing other things we're going to start seeking those things that are above we're going to start Pressing towards the mark. We're going to start, not only that, let's change our thought process. We're going to think when we're talking to our kids, how am I going to guide them godly so that they think about what God thinks about whatever it is that I'm correcting them for, whatever it is I'm training them about, whatever conversation that I'm having with them that's going to cause them to grow. Is it biblical? Is it God's conversation? Am I approaching them the same way God gives me grace? Am I giving them grace? Am I showing them the same love that God shows me? You understand? There's heavenly implications in parenting your children. There's heavenly implications in your marriage. There's heavenly implications in your relationship with brothers and sisters. There's heavenly implications in everything that a Christian does. But until we reckon ourselves dead to sin and alive to God, until we understand that to be dead in Christ or to, to be dead to the law but alive in Christ means that I'm living this life now to glorify him. That Christ is living in me. And this Christ that lives in me demands of me a life that glorifies him. Now we get to verse 2. He says, set your affections. On things above. I want to go back to verse 1 for just a moment. I, I feel like I got ahead of myself. I didn't write anything down for this, but 
Notice what it says. If you be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above. Notice where the things are. Verse 1 says, where Christ sitteth at the right hand of God. Amen? Seek those things that are above. It tells you to seek the things that are above, and then it tells you where those things are that you're supposed to seek. With Christ at the right hand of God. Verse 2, set your affections on things above, not on things on this earth. Now, this is where we get really tricky right here. Because right here is where a lot of people go, well, Pastor, what does affections mean? Set your affections. In other words, set your mind to think upon heavenly things. Set your heart upon heaven's desires, upon heaven's plans, namely Christ's will and Christ's kingdom. Do we remember how the Lord taught us to pray? When you pray, pray ye therefore, our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done in earth. As it is in heaven. Do you understand that as a Christian, we're not to seek our own will. We're not to seek our own good. A Christian puts others' needs before theirs. Puts even strangers' needs before theirs. Because they're not down here to live their life simply to get through it. And say, oh man, I got through this life. I did everything I wanted to do. See, that's a heart and a life that is fixated on this world, on this world's goods, on the things that please them here. And it would be a dreadful thing. What did Jesus say? It would be a terrible thing for a man to gain the whole world and lose his own soul. Matthew chapter 6 Flip over there real quick. I'm not going to read the Lord's Prayer since I already quoted it. But I want to go to verse 19. He says, Lay not up for yourself treasure upon the earth, where moth and rust doth corrupt, and where thieves break through and steal. But lay up for yourself treasure in heaven, where neither moth nor rust doth corrupt, where thieves do not break through and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart is also. This is all about seeking those things that are above. How about this? We can go ahead and flip over to verse 33, the same chapter. We're not even leaving the chapter. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. Take therefore no thought for the morrow, for the morrow will take thought for itself, for the things of itself sufficient unto the day are the evils thereof. Now I started at verse 33, but I could have started before that. Look at verse 31. Take therefore no thought, saying, What shall I eat? Or what shall we drink? Or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For all of these things do the Gentiles seek after. And your heavenly Father knoweth that you have need of all of these things. And then he says, so take no thought for your body. 
Don't even think about what you're going to put on tomorrow. Don't even think about what you're going to eat tomorrow. Don't think about that. Why? Because your heavenly Father already knows that you need those things. And you, just like Christ, are not down here to do your own will. Do you understand that a born-again believer has got to say, just as Christ did, I have not come to do my own will, but the, the will of him who has sent me. Do you know that the Holy Spirit didn't come down here to do his own will? He came down here to do the will of the Father and to do the will of the Son. And he only takes from the Son and gives to us what is the Son's. Christians are not saved simply to live their life however they want. And if that's your view of Christianity, that's a wrong view because Jesus said, unless you are willing to renounce all that you have and follow me, you can't even be my disciple. The reality of us looking for heavenly things is an inextric inextricable consequence of being in Christ. If ye be risen with Christ, seek those things which are above where Christ is. Set your affections. Set your heart. Let the treasure of your heart be fixed on heaven, on God's will for your life, on God's plan for your life, on your life in Christ to reach other people with that same love and compassion and grace that you have been given. Jesus said, freely you have received Freely give. Romans chapter 8 verse 5 and 6 summarily gives us an understanding of what this means. And I'm going to go back and read it again since I already read it once. But, you know, repetition never hurt anybody. That's how we get muscles, right? I'm going to work your faith muscles. Some of you got big old muscles and I don't have to worry about, you know, physical muscles. But we're going to work out some spiritual muscles, okay? For they that are after the flesh do mind the things of the flesh. But they that are after the spirit, the things of the spirit. For to be carnally minded is death. But to be spiritually minded is life and peace. When are Christians going to wake up, get in their prayer closet and say, God, I took no thought of you yesterday. I took no thought of you the day before that. I took no thought of you last week or last month. God, it's been so long since I prayed, since I actually opened my Bible, since I actually sought those things that are above. God, it's been so long. Help me seek those things that are above. When are Christians going to realize this is a prerequisite in our walk with Him? This is not... This isn't like, well, it might happen in this guy and it might happen in that guy, but, you know, it might not happen in her at all. That's not true. In Thessalonians, he says, this is the will of God, your sanctification. God's will is that his people would be sanctified, that they would walk out this sanctification that they would pursue holiness, that they would seek those things that are above, that they would run after those things that are above, those things that are good and pure. What did he say? He said, he, he said, whatsoever is good, whatsoever is lovely, whatsoever is a good report, if there is any praiseworthy, if there's anything, think on these things. Why? Because I've got to set my mind 
to godly things. You know what happens if you don't tune your mind into God? It's going to be tuned into something else. It's going to get tuned into the world. It'll get tuned into your flesh real quick. And the devil can even turn that dial. Because that's what we're at war against. The world, the flesh, and the devil. And all of them want to bring us away from God. They all want to keep us from walking towards God. They all want to keep us from seeking those things that are above. Matthew Henry notes that there are three reasons why Christians should seek those things that are above. They should set their affections on things that are above. Number one, he notes in verse three, you're dead. You're dead to sin. So why would you continue to live in sin when you're dead to sin? You have a right. You have an obligation. You have been empowered by the Holy Spirit of God to mortify. To do exactly what verse 5 says. To mortify the deeds of the flesh. Number two. Our true life is in Christ. And lies in another world. Look at verse 3. He says this. For ye are dead. Number one. Number two. And your life is hid with Christ in God. That's his second point. That our life is now in another world. Our life and the fruit of our life, the power of our life, our life is truly in Christ who lies right at the right hand of God the Father. That's where he says, verse 1 says that's where he's at, right? So if our life is hid with Christ in God, then our life is in heavenly places with him. Number three, believers should set their affections on these things because he is coming again. And his second coming gives us hope for the perfection of our happiness. Now we get to verse 5. Verse 5, he says, mortify, therefore, the members, uh, your members which are upon the earth. Now watch this. This word mortify means to destroy the validity of something. It means to kill or to put to death. So, and I believe the ESD says to put to death the deeds of the body. Amen? Mortify, to put to death, to kill, to destroy the validity of these things in your body. I'm going to just go through the list real quick. He says fornication. Unclean. These are obvious ones like fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affections, evil conspicuancy, covetousness, which is idolatry. And, and people are covetous even when they don't even know they are. Okay? I know people on a Bible, uh, uh, on a Bible uh, page on Facebook that are covetous. They're covetous for the fanciest, newest, most awesome leather Bible wrapped up in goat sheep lamb skin with, you know, calf stitching and whatever else. That's all made up, okay? I don't know anything I'm talking about. 
But even in things of Christ, people become covetous. And it's very easy because our flesh desires and lusts to have. What did James say, right? He said, you have not because you ask not, right? But before all that, he said, you lust to have and you have not. He says, you desire and you murder to have, but you don't obtain. You ask. He said, you have not because you ask not. And when you do ask, you ask amiss so that you can squander it on your own lusts. These evil conspicuencies, I wanted to bring that word up because this is not a word that we use very often in modern English language, but it means a strong desire or appetite, especially of a sexual nature. And it's interesting that the first few of these are fornication, inordinate affections, evil conspicuencies, amen? Why? Because every, Jesus, or Paul said that every other sin, in other words, Jesus said that, right? Every other sin is outside of the body. But fornication is sin within your own body, within your own self. You're hurting yourself. Amen? He says, verse 6, he says this, he says, For which things sake the wrath of God cometh unto children of disobedience in which ye also walked sometime when you lived in them now verse 6 is simply a, a, a driving home of this point that all of the things that he just named are the things for which the wrath of God is going to be poured out on this earth at the final judgment when, the, when, the, when Christ comes back to judge the living and the dead it's going to be because of these things amen Notice what he says. But now ye also put off all these. Now he adds to the list. Now I want you to also put off these. That's Kevin O'Connor paraphrased. Anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another. Why? Seeing that you have put off the old man. With its desires. Wow. And have put on the new man. Which is renewed in the knowledge. After the image of him that created him. Verse 8. He says it's because there's a new man. There's a new creation. Let me ask you a question. Doesn't the Bible ask this Rhetorical question in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 14. And if you could, just go ahead and turn there because I want to read it. Chapter 6, verse 14. He asks this question. He says, Be not unequally yoked together with unbelievers. For what fellowship hath righteousness with unrighteousness? And what communion hath light with darkness? And what co concord hath Christ with Belial? Or what part hath he that believeth with infidels? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? 
For ye are the temple of the living God, as God has said. I will dwell in them and walk in them, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. Wherefore, come out from among them, and be ye separate, saith the Lord. And touch not the unclean thing, and I will receive you. Second John. Oh, it's 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I'll be closing in a minute. You guys can be off the hook. 1 John chapter 2, starting at verse 15. Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eye, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world passeth away, and the lusts thereof. But he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. Oh, that believers today. Oh, that believers in our church would set their affections truly on things that are above. Oh, that we would indeed mortify the deeds of the flesh. That we would truly seek to glorify God in our bodies, which is God's. Oh, that spiritual matters, heavenly matters, might be the concern of ours. That they might be our concern, a concern to us as we glorify Christ in this temporal, mortal life that we live as strangers and sojourners as we wait his appearing. Let us not be so heavenly minded that we are no earthly good, but let us labor heartily for the kingdom we are already citizens of. And as we labor, let us fully, let us be fully aware and fully expectant of the world to come and to have our affections set on things that are above. The reason that I preach this message is because I want every one of you and myself to have a refresher course in what it means to live for Christ. Every day we have choices that we can make. Every day we got a choice to, to get up and to go to God in prayer and say, God, I'm not good at this. I don't know how to pray. Teach me how to pray. Praying to God's real easy. Say, God, I'm real messed up today and I need your help. Everything I say, everything I do, most of the time it's all about me. God, help me to have my heart focused on you. Help me to have my affections set on you. Help me to remember through the course of my day while I'm at work or while I'm at home or where, when I'm out visiting other people, when I'm in the grocery store, when I'm talking to my kids, when I'm talking to my friends, let my heart and mind remember that I represent heaven. That I'm down here not to do my will, but to do the will of Christ who sent me, who sent you. Every single person that is in Christ, Christ intends to use to reach somebody else. 
His plan is not just to give you a hall pass to heaven, to skip hell. Roll the dice, don't, you know, go past go, skip hell, go right to heaven. If that's all it was, then we, as soon as we got saved, we just die. But we don't. Why? Because God has every intention of using us to glorify his son, to glorify himself, and to fulfill the plan that he has at work right now. And he wants you to be a part of it. Amen. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for moments, God, where we can be so affected by the word of God. Lord, I confess my own inadequacies. I confess, God, that I don't always pray as I should. I don't always seek you as I should. I don't always say the right things, and I don't always speak up for you when I know I should. I don't always talk to that person in line at the store that I know I should have said something to, God. I know that I have the mortification of my own flesh to look at, so I'm not standing behind this pulpit pointing fingers at anyone, God. But I come boldly before the throne of grace with everyone in this room. And I ask you, Lord, to help me to forgive my sin, to forgive my inadequacy, Lord, to strengthen me, to build me up, to be a perfect man, to walk out this walk of sanctification that I might glorify Christ in my body, that I might glorify Christ in my speech, that I might glorify Christ and how I live and how I teach and how I raise my children, how I'm a husband to my wife, how I'm a father to my kids, how I'm a pastor to this church, how I'm a brother to my brother and sister, how I'm a son to my mother. God, help me to truly set my affections on things that are above. To think of heaven's counsel, to think of heaven's agenda, to put heavenly things on my agenda. Not that I want to be walking around in some euphoric state going, oh, I'm in heavenly places in Christ, so I'm not doing anything down here. God, we need to be about your work. We need to be laboring earnestly for the kingdom of God to be coming here on this earth. But we also need to have one hand and one eye looking toward heaven for our hope to the hills from whence our salvation comes, to the clouds of glory where this same Jesus who departed on a cloud is going to come back on the same cloud. He's going to come back with power and great glory. And those who believe will be caught up to meet him in there. Lord, help us tonight to set our affections on heavenly things. Forgive us, Lord, where we have not. Enable us and strengthen us to accomplish your purpose in our life. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.